is what we're going to jump into in just a moment. But as I was reading my Bible this past week, <clears throat> I was reading through the passage where, uh, by the way, this year, if I sound like I'm in a different portion of the Bible than you are in your yearly Bible reading, um, it's probably because I am. Um, I'm reading it through chronolo chronologically this year. So in order of events that happened, not necessarily how the Genesis to Revelation. Does that make sense? And so <clears throat> I'll be jumping around a little bit. But anyway, this week we read about Ishmael. Anybody know who Ishmael is? Yeah, who is he? And the Egyptians. Yeah. So Ishmael is Hagar's son, who was the servant of, Hagar was the servant of Sarah. And since Sarah was getting impatient with God, she's like, hey, just go have a baby with Hagar, and that'll be the promised child. In fact, Abraham even later asked God, hey, why don't you just use Ishmael? He's here. We've already got him. Why don't you? God said, no. He's not the promised one. Anyway, so we don't have time to get into that. But Ishmael, the Bible says in the King James that he died among, he died among his people. In the original, it was a little bit different than that. The NIV actually indicates what the scripture actually said in the original. And the Bible tells us, let me go there real quick. Mm -hmm. Genesis chapter number 24, I think it is. Yeah, 25 actually. So in the New Living, I'm sorry. That's not the right one. I hope I'm not boring you guys to death this morning. <laughs> In uh, Genesis chapter 25, in verse 18, the Bible tells us that his descendants settled, talking about Ishmael, this is after Abraham died, it's giving Ishmael's uh, lineage, and then in verse 18 it says, his descendants settled in the area called from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt, as you go toward Asher, you know exactly where that's at, right? No, just kidding. <clears throat> but <laughs> the point that I want to pull out is, and they lived in hostility, toward all the tribes related to them. When you try to rush God, you introduce problems. And that's what happened here. Ishmael was born because they were trying to rush the promise. They said, we're going to help God out. And here we, we here have his descendants settled in this place, and they lived in hostility toward all of the tribes related to them. Now, do you know who Ishmael is and his descendants? 
Who is it? Not Rahab. So Rahab, Rahab is actually a descendant of Christ. They're the Muslims. They're the Arabs. There, there are certain sects. There's not, um, yeah. So there are, it's primarily the Arabs, right? All of the Arabs are descendants of Ishmael. And guess who has dominance where the old temple used to be? The temple that Jesus walked in? Do you know what, if you ever see a picture of, of Jerusalem, what do you see prominent in the middle of that picture? There's a mosque with a dome on top of it that has gold on it, right? They call that the Dome of the Rock. That's a Muslim mosque. And they, they are doing their best to prove that the Israelites never had occupancy of that place. And that that was never their, their temple. And they even broke the law to build the Dome of the Rock. Over there, if you start digging and you come across remains of another building from a different era, you have to stop your work. You have to report it to the authorities, and they have to begin an archaeological dig and determine what's there and determine whether or not it's sacred and whether or not they can continue building. But the Muslims didn't care. They came in with big old dozers. They came in, dug out what they wanted, built their building right on the place where the, uh, where the old temple was, where Jesus would walk in. When we, we read about where he went in and, and threw over the money changers' tables, this is the place. And we're going to actually be going there. They allow tourists to come. Um, but they're trying their best because they, they are hostile towards the Israelites who are their brothers. They are related to them through Abraham. They all have the same father all the way back. But you've got to understand, they hate the Jews. And they want to do as much harm as they can to the Jewish faith and to cause as much confusion as they can. And when, when I began to realize that and I read this scripture, I said, oh my goodness, it didn't start down the road. It started immediately. And even if you go back in the story of Abraham and Ishmael, after Isaac was born, guess what? Guess what Sarah did? She put Hagar and Ishmael out. She said, get rid of them. They don't belong in this house because he's, he, Ishmael was already starting trouble. Anyway, we don't, I didn't come here to teach and preach about, what's that? Yeah, it did, guarantee it. And it started animosity. animosity against those people and that's that guarantee you that planted a seed of bitterness in that in that people that they haven't been able to destroy that root of bitterness let me tell you something folks i gotta be careful i want to end up preaching here in a minute but the root of bitterness will destroy your soul and if you allow it to creep into your life i don't care how bad somebody was to you if you can't forgive them, you are creating a place for that root of bitterness to, to sink in 
and to take root into your life. And eventually it's going to, it's going to control your life. And not only will you be upset with the person that initiated that, but you're going to be upset with everybody else that you even perceive to cross you up. That's not a good place to be, folks. That's not Christian. To me, no, not just to me, according to the scripture, that's just as bad as going out there and fornicating and living an immoral life. That's sin, folks. And we've got to be willing to allow. Look, if anybody was, was, should have been bitter, Jesus should have been bitter. He didn't do anything to those people. And they lied about him. They twisted his words. And they put him on a cross. They spit on him. They called him names. They beat him. If anybody had a right to be bitter, if there's a such thing, Jesus was the one who had that right. And you know who he could be a bitter, bitter towards? You and me. Because it was our sin that put him out there. But he chose not to. We're going to talk about that later on this morning. That's why it's dangerous for me to teach and preach on the same service. Because <laughs> I'm going to end up crossing it up here. You're going to say, I already heard that before. Why didn't we just go home? We could have called it quits after Bible study. <clears throat> All right. So Ishmael's family you want to know why we're having so much trouble is because one man and a woman decided, hey, we're not satisfied waiting on the promise of God. We're going to rush this thing. And they stepped outside of the will of God and created a circumstance that could have been avoided. Just like Adam and Eve. Man, if you go through the scripture, you're going to find this same mantra over and over. You got Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Abraham and Sarah Moses even messed up Moses stepped out of his time he tried to liberate the Jews you know what he you know what he ended up doing he ended up murdering somebody then he had to be he had to go into exile because he stepped forward before he should have he took things into his own hands well they're human no what I'm what, Moses wasn't married yet, though. It all has to do with flesh. Yeah, I agree. Many of them, many of them did have lustful problems. But you know what I think is the beauty of the Scripture? And this ties back into the holiness piece that we've been trying to teach on, and I might teach on it in a minute. I will see. But you've got to understand, these people love God, but yet they were just as much human as you and I are. And they fell. Do you know why many of these people, all of these patriarchs that we have and we look up to and that we, we, we talk about and preach about and, and we testify about and we, we sometimes even idolize in the scripture? All of these people, David, Moses, Abraham, all of these guys, Noah, they were great men. And the reason the scripture loves them so much and the reason that they're part of the patriarchs of the old time is simply because, no, they weren't perfect. Yes, they did fall into sin sometimes. 
but they knew how to find a place and get it right with God. And I'll tell you the common thread amongst every single one of these men was simply this. Every one of them had an altar in their life. Consistent altar. Maybe I should make sure that's in there. They had a consistent altar. Everywhere Abraham went, you're going to find he built an altar there. The first thing, before they even set the tents up, he built an altar first. He sacrificed to the Lord. Isaac didn't do that. Esau didn't do that. But Jacob did. Jacob went to Bethel. He had a dream. What, he ha what happened when he woke up? He built a pillar and he made sacrifice unto the Lord. And then you go on. You, man, I, I could keep on teaching about that for a while. You got to understand, there is an important aspect in your life that if you don't have prayer in your life, you don't have an altar in your life consistently, you're not going to find favor with God like these men. The reason Noah found favor with God, you know why he found favor with God? He was constantly offering sacrifice. Job, Job was a righteous man. And we find right in the beginning of the Job chapter 1 that he was consistent every day. He made sacrifice unto the Lord. He had an altar in his life. He made sacrifice for his children. He made sacrifice for his family, the rest of his family. And God loved him. In fact, God bragged on him because he had a relationship with him. Amen. It's important. We've got to have an altar. If we don't have an altar, I mean, you can even go to Ezekiel. I didn't... I didn't come with any of this on my mind this morning, but here we are. But I want you to consider this with me. I've, I've preached it before. You got Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a man that God used mightily. You guys read Ezekiel, right? You, you, you saw the different visions that God gave Ezekiel and the different places God would take Ezekiel. In fact, one of the times, Brother Tuffy, God reached down and grabbed Ezekiel by the hair of the head, and he picked him up and carried him off somewhere. Well, that can be kind of rough for Brother Blue and myself. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, that man saw some awesome things. And God revealed sin in the camp through that man. And one day he said he, he, was, in the, he, he was in the temple. And the Lord showed him a vision. And there was water began to flow out of the threshold of the door. Now the source of that water was the presence of God. Okay? We're at the house of the Lord. You with me today? The water began flowing through the threshold under the door. And based on what the scripture says and based on what I, I found in my research was it was more like a trickle. A small little stream just kind of going through. But you got to understand, the, the, te the temple main gate was facing east, okay? The main door of the temple was facing east. The water's flowing out eastward. It gets out of the temple. It goes down the steps. And you know what's at the bottom of the steps on the north side? The first thing it passes is the brazen labor. We talked about what that rep represents, right? You remember? Baptism. And then it goes on, and it's still a trickle. And it goes past the altar. 
once it gets past the altar, then it's flowing out the gate. Do you know what happens once it passes the altar? The Bible says that a man came and he had a measuring line in his hand. And he measured out, and the water came to the ankles. And he measured out again. This is after it passed the altar, folks. And he measured out again and went to the thighs, and then to the waist. And then finally, he went out another football field. If, if, if I remember right, I could be a little bit off on my measurements, but every measurement that he measured was about a football, football field long. And every time he'd measure, little Tuffy, it got deeper and deeper. This is the same water that's coming out from the house of the Lord. And it's going, it's flowing from the presence of the Lord. It gets past the altar and all of a sudden it just starts beginning to become deeper and deeper and deeper. And the further away it gets, it got deeper and deeper. He said until it was waters that you could not pass over. Waters that you could swim in. What am I trying to say? What I'm saying is, yes, the source of life that should be flowing out of the house of God and out of our lives into other people's lives. The source of that is the Holy Ghost. It's God. It's his presence. And it starts at the temple. What? Know you not that your bodies are the temple of the living God? Right? I am his temple. So where should the water be flowing out of? Me. How do I determine how much water is actually being rushed out of this temple? How much prayer, how much time you spend at that altar determines how much that water is regulated before it gets to the people outside. That's pretty powerful. If you're not praying enough, you're not going to be affecting many lives. But this stream literally can be correlated to that river of living water that Jesus was talking about. That's going to flow from where? Out of your bellies shall flow rivers of living water. Right? Of what kind of water? Of living water. In Ezekiel, it said, wherever those waters went, whatever place those waters touched, life came in those places. I'm feeling good about this right now. When we go places... The, the water, the living water should be flowing out of us in such a way, Brother Blue, that those that we talk to may be hurting, but when they get done talking to us, they ought to be feeling like there's hope again. Because that's what life brings is hope. Amen. Praise God. And every one of us have that calling and have that mandate from heaven above. Can I get an amen this morning? Amen. Well, glory. Not even close to my notes this morning. <laughs> but I feel good. There's power in prayer, folks. You know what? I'm just going to put a, a shameless plug for Wednesday night service. I preached a message about the power of praying out loud. And I'm telling you, folks, I'm not, I am, please don't misunderstand me. I said this that night. I'm saying it again. Please don't misunderstand me. If you pray and you pray in your mind and you pray under your breath, I am not demeaning that at all, folks. 
But what I am trying to do is encourage you. If you want more power in your life, there's power in the spoken word. And if you want to know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to Wednesday night. I don't have time today to re-preach that. I think I preached almost 45 minutes that night. We don't have 45 minutes left. Um, but there's power when you begin to speak things out. Not just keeping it on the inside. There are some times, folks, when I don't want the enemy to become apprised to what's going on. And the reason I say that is there's two things. I believe wholeheartedly, and I think I can... I can, the first one for sure I can, I can back up with the scripture. The other one, some would say I, I'm, I'm making a stretch. But I believe wholeheartedly, number one, the devil cannot read your mind. There's only one who's omniscient. There's only one who knows everything. And that's God. The devil is not God. Nor is he even halfway like him. He is an angelic being. That's all he is. He is not even com comparable to God. For him to say, I will become like God, that's all he can do is become like God. He cannot become God. Because he's not a God. He is an angel. Period. He doesn't know what you're thinking. So sometimes I'll pray in, in my mind, and I'll make some some specific statements to God in my mind. Yes, God knows my thoughts. Even before I think them, he knows them. But the scripture is still very plain. You have not why. You don't ask. If you want something from God, you've got to ask him for it. In fact, there was one guy, I, I don't know him personally, but I, I've, I've heard tell of him. He was in my father-in-law's church, all right? So he, he said, look, look, I, I know I need this situation dealt with. He said, but you know what? I feel bad because every time I pray and ask God for something, he always provides it. And he said, you know what? I feel like sometimes I need to work through some of these things. And Sister Winnie, he, one day he came to his pastor and he said, guess what? That situation I've been dealing with, God stepped in and fixed it. He said, well, brother, you asked him for it, didn't you? He said, no, sir, I never asked him one time. And God prompted to his mind, the pastor's mind, he said, you know what? He did ask for it, but it was at a time where he was praying in the Holy Ghost. You, ha you know not what you should ask for, right? But you, but you, but you, pray in the Holy Ghost and you let the Holy Ghost pray through you, you never know what God is, is, is saying through you. I still wholeheartedly believe you don't have it because you don't ask for it. That means you've got to verbally state, God, I need this answer. Sometimes I'll say, all right, God, I'm struggling with things. But when I'm needing an answer, and I need something to be taken care of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be verbal about that. God, I need you to step into this situation. Now, it's typically my fears that I don't want the enemy to be aware of. And so I'll be thinking those in my mind. But before long, I can promise you this. God calms those fears. And then I just begin to pray and ask God to step into those situations. 
Amen. There's power in, in, in praying out loud. There's power in, in stating what you need from God. There's a reason that preaching is what God chose to save our souls. I want you to think about it for a minute. What is preaching? Not a trick question. Anybody want to go for it? <clears throat> preaching is the proclaimed word of God. Emphasis on the pro proclamation portion. I wouldn't be too much, uh, uh, I wouldn't be too good at preaching if I stood up here and just looked at you guys and said, Now, what did I just preach to you? I just thought a whole bunch of stuff, including Acts 2.38, John chapter 3 and verse 3. But how are you going to know what I'm thinking if I don't get it out there? Do you know why preaching is important? What is the reason we need to hear the word of God? The Bible tells us. What comes by hearing? Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by what? Anybody know? Hearing by the word of God. How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? Amen. Paul told, them, told, told Timothy, he said, preach the word, Timothy. Be instant in season and out of season. Look, I, I'm, I'm very much of the faith, of the belief that yeah, I, I need to preach the word of God while I'm here. But I think I was talking to somebody a few, few days ago, and as we were talking, they made a statement. They said a lot of weird stuff, but one statement stuck out in my mind. And they said this, Brother Tuffy, she said, my family was weird. I said, really? How so? She said, Every Sunday after the service was over, we all went home, and me and my sisters and my mom would cook dinner, and she said we would be cooking dinner, and during the time we're cooking dinner, mom and my sisters and I, myself, we would be talking about what the preacher said that day. She used the term debating. And then she looked at me, she goes, really, that's not what we were doing. We were just talking over what the preacher said that day. She said, and then after we got the food done, she said, evidently, my, my dad and my brother was talking about it as well, because when we all got to the dinner table, we all put together our summation of what, what we had gathered 
and gleaned from the word of God that day. And she said it built our faith. Well, that's what the word of God's supposed to do. And I looked at her, I said, man, and I don't know what happens at y'all's homes, okay? I said, but if, if only I could, I could preach in such a way that when the people from our church leave and go home, that the word of God is still so heavy on our mind that that consumes our conversation for the next few hours after service is over. Does that make sense this morning? I'm, I'm not saying that, man, he did a great job. No, I'm saying, man, pastor said this today. How, how does that apply in our life? Or what, what is the deeper meaning to that? And then that should be whetting your appetite to say, I want to know more about what the scripture has to say. Does that make sense today? And a lot of times, I've heard this feedback many times where you'll come to me, Pastor, I was just studying that passage of scripture this week and you tied it all together. And, and then you go home and you actually start studying it from that light and then you begin to get more revelation around that subject. I don't know whatever subject you want to put at it, but, but I want you to understand, only God can do these things. I'm not here, I'm not wanting you to go home, man, he did a great job preaching today. No, I'd rather you dwell upon what was said, and that being the word of God. Because that's when you're going to know if somebody's ever telling you the false, the false truth. If you're digging yourself. Because you not only need prayer, like we talked a few moments ago, but prayer and study work hand in hand, folks. Now, I'll tell you this. Be careful studying too much without praying. Because you can find yourself off into some other weird things. You can get confused if God's not guiding that, that, that study time. Does that make sense today? It's because there's a lot of ideas out there, right? My... my We've, we've talked about a lot of stuff, stuff today, but one of, I, I, want, I want to kind of give you guys some pointers. If you, don't already, if you already know these pointers, just chalk it up to pastors just reaching at straws today. But when, what I like to encourage you guys to do is when you're studying the Word of God, it's good to hear what other people have to say. I'm not against that. I hope you all know that. But also, I want you to be very careful taking their words as absolute truth before you go and look in the scripture and confirm what they're saying. Here's the reason why. If they're, if they're not teaching the truth in one fashion, can I say this? False doctrine begets false doctrine. You understand what the word beget means, right? It brings, it conceives, births, whatever other word you want to throw at it. If you're teaching false doctrine in one area, that false doctrine and that false mentality is going to creep into all the other areas that you're beginning to teach in. Does that make sense? 
And so that's why I'm trying to help you understand. Many folks will come and ask me, well, I had, I had these folks come to my house. Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, whatever the case may be. Well, we all know that they don't, they don't teach the truth. You know that they all believe in two gods. There's no, there's no two ways about it. Not going to get into that. But I want you to understand, I've had folks say, well, I need to study the Mormon or the Jehovah's Witness faith to understand it so that I can better answer them when they come. Well, my argument to that is, how do they train bankers or tellers at the bank to know what's real money or not? They don't hand them fake bills and say, hey, this is what fake bills feel like. But rather, day after day after day, thousands of real bills run through their, their, their hands. And they get so accustomed to what's real that when the fake shows up, there's no question. I've watched a teller one time. They're just, have you ever seen a teller count? Just, I don't even know how they're doing it. I can't even count that fast without anything in my hands. But they're just, and they're counting it. And one time I, I, I watched them and they're counting and they, and they keep going. They didn't even miss a beat. And I, I asked them, I said, well, why'd you put that one over there? They said, that one didn't feel right. And lo and behold, it wasn't, it wasn't right. I worked at Chick-fil-A for many years, three to four years. I don't remember exact time frame, but every, I was the closing manager every Saturday night. And so I had to count the cash in the drawers. And I had to make sure that the teal was, was set. We had seven or eight teals that we had to make sure had $150 between bills and change in each of them. So I had to make sure all that was counted and made sure that all the teals were, were exact. Then I had to take all the extra off of the teal, and then I had to count that, and that was our deposit for the bank. So I was running through a lot of cash, using a lot of cash. And one night, I'm sitting there, and I'm counting the money. And a couple of hundred-dollar bills came through, and I'm, that's not right. And we had about $400 of bills in the, in the next consecutive weeks that we, we set aside. And sure enough, all of that cash, all of those hundred-dollar bills were, were fake bills. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back I'm just trying to help you understand how did I know that was real or that was fake wasn't because I was constantly looking for fake bills I'm not the guy that when a customer hands me a hundred dollar bill I'm going to pull out my my brown pen and start marking the thing up holding it to the light and making sure all the stuff's there but if it felt weird I probably would be that guy I wasn't running as a manager you don't run the till you're not, take, you're not a cashier. You're not taking stuff in very often. But as we found that, we were able to actually pinpoint when that $100 bill came through because you can see uh, transactions. You can see all the cameras are always there, right? They were able to catch the people. Thank God for that, right? But it was because I knew what the real was like that I could identify the false.
We've worked with, with the men in Africa for years now. And it never ceases to amaze me that so many of them have fallen on their face and repented of teaching false doctrine after the truth has been revealed to them, been rebaptized in the name of Jesus. And then we begin to work with them and we begin to help them. And it never ceases to amaze me, Brother Tuffy. One time, one of the guys actually brought a bottle to my, my, my well, let me, let me back up. Let me just say it this way. My father-in-law knew of a thing that was happening in Africa by storm. And it was a lot of sensationalism. How many of you guys have ever heard, hey, um, we're selling bottles of, of the blood of Jesus. Or we're selling um, actual strips of the clothing that he wore when he was dead. You see it on the internet. Um, false teachers on the television will, will sell stuff like this. Um, in fact, some of those guys will actually sell anointing oil that they prayed over and said, hey, you take this and you pray for people, the sick will be healed, so on and so forth. Um, all that's false doctrine, guys. All of that. Every bit of that is false doctrine. Um, all, they're, all they're worried about is your money. That's all they want. But we're there, and my father-in-law always, he, he drinks water, but while you're there in Africa kind of like going to Arizona and spending time there if you're used to the humidity that we we encounter often and you don't drink as much water you go to Arizona and you spend a week there you'll almost you guys went to New Mexico right it's, it's quite a bit different isn't it you, you you just can't get enough water or electrolytes in your body and so my father-in-law would carry these electrolyte packages that you can buy at the store they're flavored and he had uh fruit punch I think it was which was red right when you put it in the water and you shake it up and then you got a red you got red water so he had a clear bottle one day and he told us at lunch he said look at this I'm gonna I'm gonna do an object lesson today and he took and he put that um, additive into his drink and as he did he didn't shake it up. He just let it settle. And as he's teaching, he told the folks, he said, guys, he said, I feel like, and he's doing this all as an object lesson, okay? So he's telling these guys, guys, I want to let you know, today I feel like God wants to turn water into wine. He did it. And as he's doing it, he's just moving his hand. And the guys are sitting there watching the water just turn red. Not one of them, Brother Tuffy, even stood up and said, that's not right. This is not right. This is false. In fact, one of them stood up and started to walk. He said, brother, he said, this was just an object lesson. He said, and he pulled out the packet he still had in his pocket. He said, you see this right here? He said, I just poured this in my drink before I walked to this podium. And I wanted to show you guys how gullible we can be sometimes. When we allow ourselves to encounter too much of the fake, 
that we accept it as the real. Look, I would rather the opposite be the truth. I'd rather consume so much of the real that, like Brother Tuffy did that night on the radio. Brother Darren, right here, walked in that service that night. He could barely move. Brother Waldrop was here. Brother, it wasn't a big scene, folks. It wasn't, it was it? All Brother Waldrop did was walk over to him. I, I don't even think he laid his hands on his head. He just said, God, I want you to heal this man. That simple, folks. It don't have to be thunder and lightning and the building shaking and the miracles can come and happen. But he gets in the car that night and the radio preacher said, you know, God's not doing miracles like he used to. And he said, I shut it off. Look, I, I'm, the, I'm the guy that, hey, if I hear false doctrine, I don't want to hear anything else they have to say. If they want to have a dialogue, they want to have a discussion, I'll talk with them. But I don't want to be taught by them anymore. Because I don't want to get so inundated with fake stuff that I can't tell the real from the fake. Does that make sense today? It's important that you study. You study, you study, you study, you study. Paul said, study to show yourself approved. A workman that needed not be ashamed. But he didn't say study everything else. He was talking about study the scriptures. You need to know what they say. I've, I've had, uh, in fact, Brother Blake, you called me one time and you asked me about this whole new book of uh, uh, Enoch. Yeah. What's wrong with the book of Enoch? I got no qualms with the book of Enoch as long as it supports what we already know is true. You with me? There's a bunch of books out there. There are, there, there are a bunch of people that claim, hey, we, we found this book that should have been in the Bible. Well, I believe what's in the Bible should have been in the Bible. These other books, these are pluses. These are, these are additions that, that, hey, most of them, I will tell you, are in support of scriptural principles that are already laid out. In fact, they found another book. Uh, my my father-in-law was telling me about the book of Balaam. Talks about a seer who prophesied against the the people not obeying their gods. Now he wasn't a he wasn't a prophet of God. You you understand that, right? Balaam was not a prophet of Jehovah. Balaam was a prophet all to himself. He was one that. He was known as one who cursed the nations. That's why this king reached out to Balaam and said, Hey, I want you to go curse the children of Israel. And Balaam prayed. I don't even know if Balaam really knew who he was praying to. But God answered him in that moment and said, I don't want you going. And he said, I, I can't. He told the king three times. He said, I can't go. And finally the king said, All right. And when, when Balaam came back and he said, All right. I want to go curse this people. And God said, all right, go. You guys remember what happened? He had a talking donkey. God pronounced judgment on him. And then God said, I want you to go with the king now. But every time he opened his mouth, 
he couldn't say any cursing against the people of God. God would put other words in his mouth, and he would end up blessing the people of the Lord. Anyway, all of this other book supports this man Balaam, giving us a little bit more inf information about him. Is it absolutely 100% accurate? I don't know. It's not the Bible, so I, don't, I can't say I believe that it is infallible, okay? But I do know this, that the more that people begin to dig in history, if you're willing to accept it, the Scripture will bear itself witness every time. Amen. They said Joshua, they said Joshua and Jericho, the overthrow of Jericho wasn't absolutely right. You know what's even more beautiful about that? Wow, it's 11 o'clock already. Um, you know what's beautiful about that whole Jericho pit? Is when, when an when a, when a, when a army would go and overthrow a city, they would go in and they would do what's called plundering. They would go through and they would get all of the goods, take them back, and have sustenance, right? And so the whole point of where I'm trying to go is, and I got to hurry, but Joshua, the scripture tells us in the book of Joshua that when they crossed the Jordan, it was at harvest time. When Joshua sent the spies back to, Jer uh, to Jericho and they were hidden by Rahab, do you remember what they were hidden under? The flack. That means on her roof, it wasn't unordinary for them to go up on her roof and to see all these barrels of grain and the flack that they had just harvested all over the roof. And they're not going to go digging through that, so she hid them under the flack. And they escaped. All of that being said, when, they, when the archaeologists got there to Jericho and they started digging deeper, they found barrels that were still over half full of grain. The upper layer of it had been burnt off. Showing that those armies did not go into Jericho and plunder the city like God told them to. Meaning, that's not normal. Because <laughs> when an army was to go into a city, they would take everything that was there, they would take it back home with them, and then they would burn the city. If that's what they were going to do. But no, they burnt that city with everything in it. With everything in it. Meaning they obeyed God, except for one man. His name was Achan. We don't have time to talk about that today. God's good. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's 11.03. I apologize for keeping us long. That's what happens when I don't have notes. Anyway, love you guys. What? I did have notes. It's, that's what happens when I don't obey my notes. Anyway, God bless you. Let's refresh ourselves. Let's come back. Let's spend some time in prayer, and let's have good church.